This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, thank you, Sarah. My name is Pastor Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and we're on our Biblical Prophecy Series, making sense of this crazy world, and we're going forward in Daniel chapter 2. I hope you listen to the first one of Daniel 2 because this is going to go right on top of it. And the title for this is History is Really His Story. And you'll see why I do that in a little bit. Daniel 2, 24 to 40. I loved history. Loved history in school and in college. Loved it. As bad as I was at math and science or didn't love them, I was good in history. Just loved history. Eat it up still. That's all I read. History books. Love, love, love history. I know I'm in a minority. Now, think about a history test. You're going to sit down getting ready to take a history test. And imagine getting the answers in a vision. In a vision. Imagine that you get the, the, uh, they, they come to you. And this wouldn't be cheating. It just comes to you in a vision. God gives you the answers. That's what Daniel got. Daniel got that very thing, not for a test, but it really was a test. He, it was a life and death test, if you listen to the first part of this. But he got the history before it even happened. He got history in the future. It's like Back to the Future Part 2. Remember that movie, Back to the Future Part 2? Went forward. And that's what happened with Daniel. He gets this amazing gift, as we're going to see. Staggering prophecy. I'm so excited about preaching the rest of this chapter here. From 600 B.C. till the end of days, till the, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the Messianic kingdom is established. That's what we hear about in this vision that we're going to look at today. We hear so much about Nostradamus, and you read Nostradamus, and like, yeah, it's interesting, but it's all fuzzy. You know, a lot of things could be squeezed here and there. But Daniel gives this in intricate detail. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And this is, boy, if you, if you need something to encourage your faith, this is it. And if you say, well, I don't really believe the Bible, because blah, blah, blah. Listen, if you don't believe the Bible after this, you don't want to believe the Bible. You don't believe in Jesus after this. You don't want to believe in Jesus. You've closed your ears and closed your eyes and shut your mind and, and sealed your heart because this is can't get any more clear than this. And I pray, well, let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch people, would reach them, would break through, reach them with the truth of Jesus Christ and, and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that this, the, your prophetic word would, would just be a, a knife that would cut through hearts. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read Daniel 2, 24 to 30. First of all, pick it up with verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are there. As you are laying, lying there, O king, your mind 
turn to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Wow. He says, only God has the answers. And Daniel uses a new word for astrologers. He's saying the astrologers don't know. He, he, he uses the word, though, diviner. It's a brand new word. He uses diviner. Someone who looks to the stars to get the answers and to, to find the future. But Daniel's making a sharp point here by using this word. He says, only God, not these guys looking at the stars, these diviners, they can't divine. Only the divine being, only God, the one true God, knows the future and determines, not just knows, but determines the future. Only God has the answers, the answers to the future, the answers to life's deepest questions, to the, the, our deepest needs. Only God can fill the God hole in our heart that he created us with. Only God can fill that. Nothing else, everything else can't fill it. Only God can fill that hole on our heart. And in verse 30, although Daniel has the answer, he has humility. He has humility, and that's the key for us. We have to have Daniel's same spirit of humility, those of us who have the same answers to life that we have, that God has given us through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Remember, we're no better than anybody else. We can't be like looking down on people who are messing up and, and, and headed to hell and, and living like hell. We can't look down on them. We just we remember that God has opened our eyes, opened our eyes, and he wants to use us to help other people open their eyes, to reach other people. He wants to use us, but we have to have that right attitude, that right spirit. And now we come to the vision. And as I read this, uh, you'll see on both sides of me on the screen, you're going to see these two different charts. And they are describing, one, they're the same exact chart, but one brings out something a little different than the other one. But they're really good. And as, as I go through this, and as I teach this, I'm going to keep referring to the two pictures, hopefully on both sides of me, that you can see. Sarah was going to put that up for me. So thank you, Sarah, for that. But let's, let's read, first of all, Verses 31 through 40. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet, of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron for iron breaks and smashes everything and as iron breaks things to pieces so it will crush and break all the others 
So, seeing the two pictures on both sides of me, we're going to go into this in greater detail. We're going to hit it right now, but when we hit chapter 7, we're going to go into great detail. This is world history from 600 BC until the second coming. This is the time of the, this is describing the time of the Gentiles when, when Israel is under discipline because of turning away from God. But uh, when Jesus comes again, they're going to be reestablished. So, so looking at the two pictures on both sides of me, there's, it's really describing five kings and five kingdoms. And the first four we're going to look at right now, the first four have a declining power of the kings. The first king is super powerful and each of the succeeding kings is less powerful. And that's why the, the metals are less valuable. It goes from gold to silver to bronze to iron and they're going down. But even though the kings aren't as powerful that rule these kingdoms, the kingdoms themselves are more powerful. They're stronger. Each one gets stronger, increasing strength of the kingdoms, of the Gentile powers. So each of these metals is less valuable, but it's stronger because the, the king is less uh, powerful ruling, but the kingdom itself is stronger. And we'll, let's look at it right now. The gold, we already know the gold is Babylon, right? Babylon. Babylon was known for gold. Known for gold. A hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar, the historian Herodotus shocked, was shocked by the glittering city of Babylon. There was so much gold. Nebuchadnezzar is gold. He's the golden head. He's the total power. He had total power. He was a dictator. Daniel boldly says to him, my God gave you that power. He had power over life and death of Everybody in the entire kingdom. Total power. Nobody could challenge him. But then comes along the silver. The silver is the next part of the statue. And this represents the Medes and the Persians. And once again, we're going to go through all this when we go through uh, Daniel 7. We're going to see it more in detail. But this is the Medes and the Persians that followed after this. Cyrus, the king of the Medes, he, that's the, uh, I'm sorry, the king of the, the Persians, Cyrus, the Persians, that is modern day Iran, modern day Iran, <laughs> it's all coming back again. Cyrus married the Median princess, in 539 he conquers Babylon, and we're going to see that story here in Daniel. The, Media, the Median Persians introduced silver as the key currency, they were known as the Silver Kingdom. They, it, for the first time, silver became the currency on a large scale. They printed silver coins. It's not as valuable. Silver is not as valuable as gold. They had weaker rulers. There was really two kingdoms ruling together. They had to share their power. And they were also bound by laws, the law of the Medes and Persians, which we're going to see later on again, the Medes and Persians. Even the, even the, the king had to follow the laws. But it was a stronger metal. It was a stronger metal. And they conquered, the Medes and Persians conquered a larger area and their dynasty lasted longer than Nebuchadnezzar's. After that, we see bronze, bronze. And we know that the Bronze Age was the Greeks, Greece. Greece was the Bronze Age. Alexander's soldier, Alexander the Great soldiers, they were outfitted with bronze uh armor and 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 uh, shields and weapons they were bronze it's not as valuable 
not as valuable, and as a result, Alexander was not as powerful of a ruler. He wasn't this dictator like Nebuchadnezzar, or even as Cyrus. He, it wasn't as valuable. He was a weaker ruler. It was a republic that he ruled over. There were two parts to it, the, the east and the west. That's why you have the, the two parts on the, this picture here. It was east and west, and the generals had lots of power. They exerted incredible power. In fact, after Alexander the not-so-great died, I call him Alexander the not-so-great, after he died, an early death and he was 33 years old he had conquered the entire known world what he knew of of the world at that time he uh he remember he wept after he conquered there was no more worlds that he knew of to conquer he died in 33 years old he was in a drunken stupor he drank himself to death in babylon he was in babylon in babylon that was his headquarters at the time and his four generals divided the kingdom once again it's stronger, it's stronger, but the, the, the bronze is stronger, but the ruler it was split among four different people, but the bronze is a stronger metal. Alexander conquered the world very quickly. Huge area, it was unbelievable. Then after that, on the statue comes the iron, the iron. I looked everywhere, uh, somewhere in this house I have a, an iron arrowhead, a Roman iron arrowhead that, that came from uh, Jerusalem, from Israel, back when they were conquering. Kim got it for me for my birthday, and it's somewhere. It's somewhere. Maybe one of the kids nailed, used it to nail something together. I don't know, but I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. But it, Rome was known as iron. It's not as valuable. The, the, the rulers weren't as strong. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, even Alexander, they weren't as, as strong as, as far as their grip on the kingdom. There was The Senate ruled Rome. And there were constant assassinations and coup d'etats constantly. But Rome itself... Not as valuable as the rulers, but the, the kingdom itself was stronger. Rome is, was iron, the strongest of all. It, it was brutal. It crushed everybody. They conquered Europe. They conquered Spain, Britain, India. It went from 31 BC until in the West, 476 uh, AD in the West, and 1453 in the East. It was a powerful, powerful kingdom. This is an amazing prophecy. Unbelievable. And there's a lot of people that, that try to say, well, this, there's no way this, 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 this chapter, Daniel chapter 2, had to be written way later. After, after the Romans and after, this was written after Jesus. This is written after, there's no way it was written before that. But unfortunately for these, these liberal scholars, these what I call them anti-Christian scholars who, why do they study the Bible? They don't believe it, I don't know. But anyway, they, unfortunately for them, there's a lot of history that says you're wrong. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, very accurate historian, not too many people have questioned him, he tells the story how in 32 BC, I'm sorry, three, I'm sorry, 332 BC, when Alexander the Great shows up in Jerusalem, conquering Israel, and shows up in Jerusalem. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read it right from Josephus here. Incredible history lesson from Josephus, writing this, telling us what happened in 332 BC. This is what he wrote. Uh, Josephus was later, obviously, with the Romans, but, uh, he was a Jewish historian writing for the Romans, but he gives us his history of 332 BC. This is what he said happened way before. Way before. 
he says, when the Phoenicians and the Chaldeans uh, followed Alexander, they were following him into, into Israel and Jerusalem. They thought they could plunder the city of Jerusalem and torment the high priest to death. They were going to torture the high priest. They were all excited because they hated the Jews back then, even now, right? Uh, but the very reverse happened. For this is, this is what happened. Alexander, when he saw the high priest and his clothing and the, the special head covering on his head and the golden plate on his chest with the name of God engraved, he approached by himself and bowed down and saluted the high priest. And one of his generals said, what are you doing? I've never seen you do that to any high priest. You just go in and knife him and, and crush the place and wipe it out and steal the gold. He goes, what are you doing? And he said, it's because I, it, as soon as I saw him, I knew him. I knew him. He, and this is what I'm going to read it to you. It says, um, I saw this very person in a dream in the same clothing. This Jewish leader, when I was in Macedonia, when I was considering with myself how I might obtain dominion of Asia, this man in my dream exhorted me to make no delay, but to boldly pass over the sea for he would conduct my army and give me the dominion over the Persians. And now, seeing this person in it and remembering that vision, the exhortation which I had in my dream, I believe that I brought this army under divine conduct and now shall conquer Darius and destroy the power of the Persians. And it will, and will succeed according to what is in my mind. When he went in, Josephus says, then says, when he went into the temple, he offered sacrifice to God according to the high priest's direction. He actually sacrificed in the temple. High priest helped him sacrifice to the one true God. And once again, this is in 332 BC. This is what is happening. Josephus, a historian, is writing this near the time of Christ. Uh, he says here, and when the book, now get this, this is crazy. And when the book of Daniel was shown to him, where and Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians, he supposed that he himself was the person intended and he was glad. And he offered favors and tribute and said, give him whatever the Jews want, give him whatever he want. And he would permit the Jews in Babylon and Media to enjoy their own laws. He was also promised to do whatever they desired. He the high priest read to him the book of Daniel and showed him how he was going to conquer the Persians. And he was so excited that he did, he didn't, he spared Jerusalem and the temple. Why? Why was that so important? Because of all the prophecies and the prophets that the Messiah had to visit that temple. If he had destroyed that temple, the Messiah couldn't come to that temple. Instead, he protected the temple. Because the, the prophets over and over again kept saying the Messiah is going to come to that temple, to that second temple, the rebuilt temple, Zerubbabel's temple. The prophecies are G the Messiah, who we know is Jesus, had to come there. And so God spared that temple and used Daniel's prophecy with Alexander the Great. Amazing, isn't it? And after that, and after the Messiah came, after the Romans destroyed the temple, after that happened, the Messiah 
had to come. The prophecies of the Messiah had to come to Zerubbabel's temple, the second temple, the rebuilt temple, had to come to that temple. It's now been destroyed. And there are so many of my Jewish friends and Jewish people waiting for the Messiah. He cannot come because the prophecy said he had to come to that second temple. Had to come. He had to already have come. It's too late for the Messiah to come now because he had to come to that temple. So the Jews are waiting for the impossible. The Messiah can no longer come. He had to already come and we know who that was. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's why Jesus said after he came, now the temple is going to be destroyed. Now Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. He had fulfilled the prophecy. He had to already come. Had to come. The prophecies tell it. Now this brings us to some of other very interesting things. And once again, you've already seen, you can see the two different graphs on both sides of me. And we're going to refer to them a little bit more because we already saw the, 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 the gold, the gold, um, Trying to read this. The golden head, the silver breast and arms, the brass belly and thighs, and the iron legs. But we haven't gotten to the iron and clay feet and the stone. And if you see on the one graph, it shows the prophetic gap. There's a prophetic gap between the iron and then the iron and clay and the stone. There's a prophetic gap, which we're going to talk about. We're going to see it talk about it today. We're going to see it in more detail in Daniel 7, and then we're going to see it explicitly described in the book of Revelation when we get, when we get to the book of Revelation. But take, keep watching, keep your eyes on these as we talk about these, because now we're going to come to the His story. History is really His story. And we're going to see why I say that now. Daniel 2.41. In Daniel 2.41, where it says... Just as you saw that the feet and toes were, now we already saw the iron legs, but just as you saw the feet and toes were of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. You know, it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the times of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, but it will itself endure forever. This last part here. Um, oh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so, we, well, I'm going to read verse 45 too. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This dream is true, <clears throat> and its interpretation is trustworthy. So we see after there, and we come to this feet of clay, prophetic gap. There's a prophetic gap. Uh, the, 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 the legs of iron were Rome. It was iron. It was powerful. It's where Jesus was crucified. They crucified Jesus in his first coming. But then we're going to see that in his second coming, he's going to turn the tables on Rome. And once again, there's a prophetic gap between, between the, the legs and the feet. And, and there's a reason for that. We're going to study that in detail, this prophetic gap. That prophetic gap is the church age. The iron and the clay feet are the revived Roman 
empire that is on its way that we're going to see described in great detail in the book of Revelation. It's still iron. It's still going to be strong, but it's going to have some weakness. It's going to have clay. It's going to have feet of clay. It's going to have clay, which represents humans, mankind. We're made out of dirt, right? And, 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 and what we see in the end times here is that man has a lot of power in the ruling. It's still strong, but we are involved because now it's democracy. Democracy is spreading around the earth. It's not as strong. It, as far as ruling, it's not as strong. It's a very fragile. In fact, Dr. David Jeremiah, in one of his book called The Handwriting on the Wall, I saved this because it was so interesting. He says here, when the 13 colonies were still part of England, Professor Alexander Tyler wrote about the fall of the Athenian Republic over a thousand years ago. And this was a democracy. And listen to what this professor came up with. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves money, <clears throat> they, they can vote themselves money from the public treasure. From the, that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidate promising the most money from the public treasury with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy followed by a dictatorship. Woo! <laughs> what are we describing here? Here we go. We're not done. Then he says, then he says, the average age of the world's great civilizations has been 200 years. These nations, and I'm talking about democracies here, these nations have progressed through the following sequence. From bondage to faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, the Declaration of Independence, right? Uh, the Revolutionary War, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance. Are we describing the USA today? This is before there was a USA. From abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy. Apathy, from apathy to dependency, from dependency back to bondage. <laughs> this was not a prophet. This was somebody who studied democracies. Unbelievable. That's why the toes, iron mixed with clay, because you have democracy mixed in there. And there's these ten toes, which represent ten kings and ten kingdoms. Okay, Daniel 7.24, which we're going to see... Uh, a couple of weeks here, Daniel 7:24, where it says, The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. So we see the ten, and then we see a picture of the Antichrist already, uh, which we'll talk about some more later on. Revelation 17, in Revelation 17, verse 12 where it says, the ten horns you saw, that's why we're doing Daniel first and then Revelation, hand in glove. Verse 12, <clears throat> the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour receive authority as kings along with the beast. Antichrist again, we're seeing these pictures here. Uh, th th this is divided power. Divided power. They're talking about the revived Roman Empire. Are we seeing this already? You bet. The, the European Union 
the European Union, we are seeing, when we saw the European Union established, you saw the beginning of history unfold. We're seeing it happen. There's, there's, there's maybe 25 nations at a time in this European Union. It's coming and going, Brexit and all this. But the flag, the European flag has 12 stars. Why 12? Well, we know why. It's a counterfeit. <laughs> the 12 tribes, the 12 stars. It's a counterfeit. Uh, what about the USA? We're not mentioned here in Daniel or in Revelation. We're not mentioned. What about us? Well, either we collapse or we're absorbed. Something's conquered, collapsed, or absorbed uh, absorbed into the, the one world government, the one world economy. The coronavirus is setting all this up. We are seeing the quick steps. We were like crawling along and all of a sudden got up, ran, you know, <clears throat> running toward this very thing and speeding it up. There's also a one world church. We've been talking about the one world church, <clears throat> which there will be an apostate pope. <laughs> Could already be the one we're talking about, we're living with right now. There will come an apostate pope, not, not a godly pope, but an apostate one whose goal will be to bring the, the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church together and then bring together the Jews and the Muslims. We already saw that in Mark 13 in our study, how he, the present day pope, the apostate pope, is saying we all worship the same God. Complete blasphemy. Complete blasphemy. And guess who gets left out of this whole situation? Those who are born again, both born again Roman Catholics and born again Protestants and Evangelicals, we all get left out of this. <clears throat> this whole, this, the USA will probably be absorbed somehow, whatever's left of the divided states of America, whatever's left of us, depending on the rapture, whatever is left, we're going to be absorbed by the revived human Roman Empire and by the UN. Somehow the UN is going to play a role in this. I don't know if you followed the news. <clears throat> I started following this long ago. 1999. I remember saving this. I couldn't believe it. Hillary and Walter Con Clinton and Walter Cronkite call for a one world government. For a world government. Unbelievable. I'm just going to read you a couple things here. Hillary Clinton. This is way back. 1999. Uh, <clears throat> Hillary Clinton introduced Walter Cronkite to the World Federalist Association, the WFA, on October 19th. Cronkite says, <clears throat> democracy, civilization itself is at stake unless the basic structure of our global community is changed in the next few years. He, Cronkite appealed for the world government came only five days before the release of the Charter for Global Democracy, which embodies the version of world government preferred by the United Nations Association. This was 20 years ago. Prophetic, and we're seeing it happen now. He, they want to elevate the UN to world government status and empower the UN to enforce all international law. Walter Cronkite, Hillary Clinton, it's all here, right? Uh, Hillary's presence at the WFA meeting and her introduction of Cronkite directly aligns her with the world government movement and particularly with the WFA's world government aspirations. Cronkite said, in order to achieve world government, Americans will have to yield, yield up some of our sovereignty, he said, i.e. all of it. Uh, he said, the notion of unlimited national sovereignty means international anarchy. Now, connect the dots to what's going on in the USA today. I'm not, I don't want to get in the middle of all this stuff, but, but our president, President Trump, Make America Great, USA First, you know, goes directly opposite. And Hillary lost that last election. She direct opposite. I don't want to get in the middle. Don't, I don't care what you think. Don't, don't email me. Don't call me. I don't care. Listen, listen, I'm just making prophetic points here. We can see these forces 
at work. These forces at work here. At work here. That, 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 sooner or later, biblically, we're gonna see that what we're trying to do here, and maybe we bought ourselves a little time as far as, you know, the USA's sovereignty. In time, we're gonna be absorbed. Not say we should just give up, surrender, and not fight. That we still should be salt and light, blah, blah. But, but, but just listen to these forces at work. That's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, under the world government scheme embodied in the Charter for Global Democracy, any individual nation could wield only the power assigned to it by the UN. National armies would be disarmed to the level of national police force. Private citizens would be disarmed. Enough said. And the UN would control the manufacture, sale, licensing, and distribution of all firearms. To finance this expanded world government, the UN would be given the authority to impose taxes on the exchange of currency, on the use of resources, including the air, outer space, and the seas. Like Clinton, Cronkite demeans his opponents. <clears throat> he, he even goes further to single out the Christian coalition and the rest of the religious right wing. That's us as the culprits who have kept the world in a state of sovereign anarchy and prevented the emergence of a civilized force of law administered by the United Nations. <laughs> Connect the dots. You, 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 you don't need special glasses to see this. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. What is coming our way? What is coming our way? What about the Muslim nations? What about the Muslim nations? We know that they'll be religiously absorbed because of the one world church. Somehow the Pope's going to pull this off, this apostate Pope. But how, Pope, but how about politically? They're not democracies and Russia isn't either. How are they going to be pulled into this? They're not. Read, I'm not going to go into this. It's going to take too long. Ezekiel 38. Read Ezekiel 38. There's going to be a war in the Middle East. It's going to be a judgment on Russia and, and the Crescent, the Muslim nations that are supporting. Uh, biblically, it's Iran and Libya and Syria and Turkey. They're going to, the, the Crescent. And in uh, verses 1 to 6, Ezekiel 38, read 1 to 6. And then read verses 14 through 16 and 17 through 23. This will break the back of Russia and of Islam, the Islamic countries, their power with the oil. The EU, the European Union, will step in. You can read this all in, in the book of Ezekiel 38. And then the Antichrist will come in right at that point and take over. The, the pow That power is broken. He's going to come in and take over. It's very scary, but we already know what happens next. The Antichrist is going to have his day. There's going to be a tribulation, the seven years. We'll see that in Revelation. He's going to have his day, but we know the end of the story. See, we know who wins. We know who wins the Super Bowl. Yeah, it looks bad for three quarters, but the fourth quarter, it's going to be good. You know, as some of you saw the last Super Bowl, that's exactly what happened <clears throat> for one team versus the other. But the, we know what happens. We know who wins at the end. The fifth kingdom. The fifth kingdom. Remember? Look at the chart. The, the, see the, on the other chart, the rock come flying down, hitting the feet. That rock, in, that rock, hits the statue, the feet of clay, it pulverizes it, but instantly, not like the World Trade Center. Remember the World Trade Center, the plane hit, hit, hours later, come crashing down. No, no. When Jesus hits, it's going down, right? It's going down. Uh, it, it's instant. 
It's over. It's instantly over. That's where I think ah, millennials get this wrong. They think, well, this was talking about Jesus' first coming. And over thousands of years, we see this, this transformation. No, 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 no. Prophetically, biblically, wham, it's over. His first coming got things started, but the second coming is going to be instant, going to knock it all down, crush it down. Jesus Christ is the rock. All throughout Scripture, over and over, 1 Corinthians 10, that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 3-4, that rock was Christ. Over and over, This will you see Jesus is the rock. Uh, this will happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. When will the second coming be? When will it happen? We don't know. Where will the Christians be? We're not sure. There's a lot of discussion on that. Uh, there's, there's some people that think that we will be taken up before the tribulation, the seven years. Some think in the middle, pre-wrath position. Others think post-tribulation. <clears throat> All three are very strong biblical possibilities. Why did God not make it more clear? Because he wants us to be ready for whatever it is. But there's been some really good Christians on all different parts of it. In fact, Billy Graham, 1961, he taught, I was reading his book not too long ago, he said that first Jesus is going to come, the second coming, and then the rapture. He believed in a post-tribulation rapture. Billy Graham! Did a lot of good. I know he had some, his wheels came off, wheels came off a little at the end, but a lot of good in 1961. He was on target. So my only point is, it's not a slam dunk. I tell everybody, pray for pre-trib, be prepared for mid or post-trib rapture. Just be ready for all of them. But the thing is this, we don't know the exact time. We don't know what all's going to happen, but we should be get, getting ready. We should know it's getting closer. We should know it's getting close. First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 4, I've read this before, tells us what's going to happen. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Poof! Shocker! Right? A thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. It's going to come out of nowhere. Coronavirus, boom, it's there. Shutting everything down. Jesus is going to come. Verse 4, but you brothers, we can't know when it's coming. We don't know times or dates, he said. We can't know the exact date. It's going to shock the world. But, verse 4, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. We're not in darkness. We can't know the times and dates, he says. But we shouldn't be shocked. We should know it's coming. We should know it's all, Jesus is almost here. Whenever that is, we should see the signs. We should read the prophetic signs. We should know it's coming. Are we ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? It could be any second. It could be right now. Are we ready? Are we ready? Are you ready? And in the meantime, there shouldn't be any panic while we're waiting. Shouldn't be any panic. God is in control. History is really his story. His story. Israel, the world, the end times, the USA, our lives. Nothing catches God off guard. The coronavirus, the election. Who's going to win the election? The war that happens. There's no fear. We live by faith. Coronavirus, we live by faith. This is a great test. I think the coronavirus is a great test for Christians. How are we handling it? Only you can say. How are you handling it? This is a test. How are we going to handle the big ones? If you can't handle something, the coronavirus is little, little compared to what we see in Revelation. If you can't handle this without freaking out and panicking and losing it, you won't, we won't handle the big one. The big ones. How are we handling it? It's a test. 
Daniel's theme. God is sovereign. When bad things happen, is God still in control? The book of Daniel is God's answer. Yes, he's still in control. Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Romans 9.33 says this. In Romans 9.33, he says, I didn't mark it here. Hold on. Talking about Jesus being the rock. And this is a key, key verse here. Romans 9.23, where he said, 9.33, I'm sorry, Romans 9.33. Talking about Jesus. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus Christ is the rock. Will he crush us? Will we stumble? Or will we put our faith and trust in him? Will we put our trust in him? He is the rock. Will he crush us? Or will we put our trust in him? Will we make him our foundation for our life? Let's pray. Have you ever put your trust in the rock, in Jesus Christ? When that rock, Jesus, comes hurtling down the second coming, when it crushes the world, the sinful world, and Satan, will we be looking forward to him or dreading him? Will we call on the the mountains and the rocks to cover us up and the caves to cover us? Or will we be calling out to Jesus, waiting for him? Amen, come Lord Jesus. What will be our response? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? You cannot be ready for the second coming until you act on the first coming. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? If not, you can do this right now, right where you are, watching, listening, wherever you are. The prayer of faith, God, I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. I don't want the old sin anymore. I repent. I walk away from it. I want the new life in Jesus. I give my life to him. I put my trust in his death on that cross for me, to forgive me, to give me a new life. I put my faith in Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, if you have acted on that first coming, you are now ready for the second coming. But it's very important that you grow that you grow spiritually. And that's why it's important that you tell someone about your new faith. If you have a Christian friend or family member or a Bible study or somebody you can talk to, let them know. Otherwise, email me, nhcc at comcast.net. Email me. I will get you. I will be excited for you and I will encourage you and help you get connected to, to some strong believers that can help you grow. Let me know. Let somebody know because you need to grow. You need to prepare. You need to grow up in your faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus Christ, are we growing? Are we ready? Are we ready for the big tests? How are we handling the test right now? The coronavirus test. How are we handling it?
in fear or in faith? Is this throwing us into a, a tizzy? Or are we immersed in the Word and, and close to Jesus and growing spiritually? Are we hiding out from everybody? Or are we looking for chances to minister to people? Even if you have to shout through the door, hey, you want to hear about Jesus through the screen door? Whatever it takes. Father, I pray that we would be ready. We would be ready for Jesus Christ when he comes again. And we can't wait for Jesus to come again. Amen. Come Lord Jesus.